Good morning to you. Good morning. It's Tuesday morning, the 21st of November, 2023. Yeah, which means tomorrow is the 60th anniversary of the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. It is. We might be talking about that on the uh, Richie Allen radio show today, maybe tomorrow. We'll have to have a chat about that. How are you this Tuesday morning? As I turn on the tape, there is no tape really. It's at uh, 20 past seven here. It is 7.20. The papers then, the front pages of the UK dailies will start with the Daily Mirror, which sports a photograph of Nigel Farage, who's down under. Is it down under these days? I know they changed it a bit during the COVID nonsense, but he's taking part in a reality television programme called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. As the mirror says, he's a big jungle turn-off. The mirror would do, wouldn't it? The old lefty mirror. <laughs> the old lefty paper for the for the trade unionists. Anyway, yeah, so that's a picture of Farage. But the headline is, Sunak let people die. Now, it's Sunak, right? And then it's claiming, he said, let people die. That's the headline. What's this about? Well, the UK's chief scientific advisor or he was during the COVID thing, was a guy called Patrick Valance. He gave testimony to the COVID inquiry yesterday and he described, he, he said basically that the Chancellor at the time, Rishi Sunak, who's now the Prime Minister, um, he said the government should allow deaths from the virus to soar rather than impose new restrictions in the autumn of 2020. He also said that Valance yesterday that Sunak at the time, remember he ran this eat out to help out scheme to try and get uh, hospitality back up on its feet after the lockdowns. Apparently Valance claimed yesterday scientists advising the government were not given any indication of the eat out to help out scheme. They weren't consulted basically, says Valance and Sunak and the government went ahead with it. So that's the Daily Mirror. iPaper goes with the same story. Sunak's eat out to help out drove second wave of COVID. So he's getting hammered in the papers today is Rishi Sunak based on his actions throughout 2020 and 2021, right? He thought it was okay to let people die is the inquiry told? That's the I paper. Daily Express, PM, we can and will cut taxes. But for the best off in society, or the better off in society, is the claim of some of the newspapers today. His Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, will reveal his autumn statement tomorrow, Wednesday. And it is believed that they'll cut things like inheritance tax and things like that while making it more difficult for people on lower incomes. That's the Daily Express, which has also got a picture of Nigel Farage on the front page. It is a photograph of Farage eating something in one of the trials undertaken by celebrities who participate in that particular reality show. He's eating something that's uh, distasteful, it would appear, in the photograph. The Metro goes with Sunak's cutting it fine. The Metro says any tax changes will come as the clock ticks down to a general election, the paper says that Sunak has distanced himself distanced himself from his predecessor's unfunded tax-cutting policy last year. They're referring, of course, to Liz Truss, who was Prime Minister for all of a month or a little bit more, and then had to fall on her sword, you remember, because of her unfeasible 
taxation policies. The Daily Mail, return of tax-cutting Tories. The Daily Mail is delighted with the claim from the, with, with the Prime Minister's claim that he will order billions of pounds of tax cuts to boost the economy. So the Mail is delighted and is crowing about this. The Daily Telegraph, Sunak pins hopes on Thatcher tax package. That is the headline. It describes his plan to cut taxes as a Thatcherite tax-cutting drive, referencing, of course, Margaret Thatcher, who favoured reduced income tax rates during her time at number 10 in the 1980s. That is the front page of The Telegraph. The Times leads with WFH push to get more sick Britons off benefits. What does this mean? Okay, the paper's main story is about the government's plans, which will be announced tomorrow, which include cutting the welfare bill and forcing more benefit claimants to look for jobs. Exactly what I said yesterday, the day before last week. They will give tax they will give tax cuts to those in the top one, the top five percent of um, income earners. Right, those who earn a lot of money while going after people on benefits and the working poor. It's what they do, I suppose. That is the Times this morning. The Star, no, The Sun, has a world exclusive on the front page. Putin has tried to kill me five times. They claim an exclusive interview with the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky. He gave an interview on camera to a Sun reporter and made the claim that uh, Putin, Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, has tried to have him assassinated on numerous occasions. The Guardian leads with UN sounds alarm as world on track for hellish three degrees Celsius rise in temperatures. Now we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, so I'll say no more about it now. Financial Times goes with staff revolt at OpenAI, piles pressure on board, over move to oust Altman. This is Sam Altman, okay, who was fired um, by Microsoft, effectively, wasn't he? Um, the, the head of OpenAI and the staff are not happy about this and they are planning mass resignations in order to um, convince the company to reinstate this guy. And the Daily Star goes for boffins. It is okay to call a boffin a boffin. Uh, the Daily Star is declaring a victory. It, it ran a campaign, apparently. Um, the Star was criticised for using the term boffin in its stories, and then it's now spoken to boffins, and boffins have said, yes, it's okay to call us boffin. Boffin is a term for a scientific person. You know, a Doc Emmett Brown type from Back to the Future. A scientific person is a bit eccentric, but is scientifically knowledged up. Anyway, that's the front... Those, excuse me, were the front pages of today's newspapers. Let's look inside them. The papers, as always, as always, there is a bounty of interesting stories. Let's look at the Times, inside the Times. Headline, Clubs Boycott Matches Against Women's Team with Trans Player. Right, At least four clubs according to the Times, playing in a women's league in Yorkshire, a women's football league, have pulled out of matches against a team that fielded a trans woman. Yes. Now, the team with the trans woman is Rossington, Maine. It's a terrible name for a football team, anyway, yeah. And the trans woman, a man, it's a man, really, is Francesca Needham. 
Now, this boycott started after an opposing player suffered a season-ending knee injury while blocking a shot from Francesca Needham last month. Francesca's a man. Now, Francesca has left Rossington, Maine, where I told teammates that she, according to the Times, she, why don't they just be honest and say he, was leaving the site which competes in the Sheffield and Hallamshire Women and Girls League. Now, Francesca is photographed in the Times and in other newspapers. There can be no doubt whatsoever that Francesca is a bloke, right? So Francesca said on Facebook, I sincerely hope that this issue of perceived discrimination against me can be resolved peacefully and promptly with the full support of the Football Association and the policies they have written and approved. However, a coach who did not want to be named has said that opposing clubs were not pulling out of games because of discrimination against Francesca, but because of safety. The coach said, and I quote, I got to see this situation firsthand. Five minutes into our game, it was obvious Francesca was biologically male. Now, the league is competitive and physical, but a lot of my harder tackling players were bouncing off of this person. So they took matters into their own hands and backed out for their own safety. These are strong players, strong women in their mid-30s. We were gobsmacked. Even the referee at the time couldn't believe it. Stop this nonsense. Men have no business playing sport with women, particularly not sport like football or rugby or mixed martial arts, for Christ's sake. It's all right for women to play darts against men, or men, I should say, to play darts against women in snooker and other sports where you're not exactly physically competing with one another. But this is insane, and women get hurt. So Francesca should fuck off and play with men, because you are a man, Francesca. Staying with trans craziness, the Telegraph has a story. Roman emperor was trans, says Museum. What's this about? A a Roman emperor has been declared transgender by a UK museum, the Telegraph can reveal. Now, the museum is in North Hertfordshire, right? And the museum says it will be, quote, sensitive to the purported pronoun preferences of the 3rd century AD ruler, Elagabalus. Have I said this right? I've read this name so many times over the years, I don't know how it's pronounced. Elagabalus. Elagabalus, yeah. So Elagabalus was in the 3rd century, right? And um, he was an emperor. But um, the museum in North Hertfordshire has said, no, no, we've got to be sensitive to her pronouns. And from now on in, the museum will refer to Elagabalus as she. Elagabalus has been given female pronouns on the basis of classical texts that claim the emperor asked to be called Lady. (laughs) Wait for it. However, some historians say, well, actually, this is bollocks, right? This may simply have been a Roman attempt at character assassination. So they were trying to assassinate the character of Elagabalus and trying to say that Elagabalus was dressing up in women's clothes. But there's no real evidence of any of this. But it doesn't matter. The museum is going to refer to Elagabalus as her and as she. It's in Hitchin, and it owns a silver denarius minted in the reign, uh, a coin that is, in the reign of Elagabalus, who ruled Rome from 218 AD until his assassination in 222 AD. He was 18 at the time. 
So yeah, she from now on, an agabalist, because yeah, okay. So that's more trans madness. The Guardian, listen to this, we talked about this yesterday and many other times. It's important this because oh, this is an agenda that's accelerating very rapidly. Revealed the huge climate impact of the middle classes. Jesus wept, right? The huge climate impact of the middle classes. The richest 10% of people in many countries cause up to 40 times more climate heating carbon emissions than the poorest 10% of their fellow citizens, according to data obtained by The Guardian, right? Failing to account for this huge divide when making policies to cut emissions can cause a backlash over the affordability of climate action, experts say. The world's richest 10% encompasses most of the middle classes in developed countries, which is anyone paid more than about 40000 dollars or £32,000 a year. The lavish lifestyles of the very rich, the 1% attract attention. But the 10% are responsible for half of all the global emissions, making them key to ending the climate crisis. Now you know what's going on here, don't you dearest listener? I'll tell you what's going on. The COP28 UN Climate Summit begins at the end of this month. And this is one of the reasons I believe, in my opinion, we are seeing so many of these stories in the press in the last couple of weeks, particularly, right? And stories, um, we're we're hearing this on, on UK television and radio all the time. Okay, the middle classes are creating more carbon and more dangerous emissions. And this is causing a huge problem you know, in terms of the the, the drive for net zero. And I believe these stories are becoming more common because we're we're so close to this COP28 UN climate uh, summit. Now look at what The Guardian says. The Guardian says the COP28 UN climate summit begins on November 30th at a time when the window to salvage a livable future for humanity is rapidly closing. You hear that? The window to... The window to salvage a livable future for humanity is rapidly closing. This is bollocks, of course. And the story goes on to say in The Guardian, transport, wait for it, especially car use, is a major factor in the sky-high emissions of the richest 10%, with these emissions 20 to 40 times higher than the transport emissions of the poorest 10% in the countries analysed. They're coming after our right to drive our cars when and where we choose to do so. This is this is the thing. And this will become apparent in a moment, right? So read a little bit more of this article because they offer solutions. In the article, they offer solutions. They also say that um, one, one major factor is the emissions embodied in the goods that people buy, such as furniture and electronics. They say these are 20 to 50 times higher for the richest 10% and make up about a third of, a, of emissions in most countries. So they offer solutions. So they're talking about governments levying an emissions tax across the population. Didn't I say this years ago? Now, I'm not saying that in an arrogant way, as if I have some special insight. I don't. I'm not saying that. But I have followed this one very closely, and I have offered opinions over the years about where this will go. And this was always going to go where every citizen of every country will have a carbon will will their carbon output will be measured and they'll do this a number of ways they'll do it through tracking people's purchases and tracking can i say that again god almighty they will track people's purchases what it is people purchase they will track people's 
movements, where they go, why they go there, whether it's going out to a football match or whether it's taking the train to London because you fancy seeing a show in the West End. All of this will be will be tracked, everything you do, the purchasing, the travelling, everything, um, holidaying, all of that. And you will be given a carbon score in the same way that banks give you a credit score. And you will be taxed on the basis of that. This is how it's going. And this will affect a great behavioural change in people. This is my opinion. People will begin to do less and travel less and they will begin to buy less because they'll be keeping an eye on their score all the time. Like if you've got a banking app, which I'm sure you have because you, you probably have a bank account. And if you do, you can m- manage your bank account using your phone. It's dangerous, this stuff, right? Security-wise, it's very dangerous. But banks do it. People do it. I have to do it myself. You go on your app. Now, your app will give you a credit score. It, you, you can ask your bank for your credit score and it will give you that. And people will be able to track their own carbon scores. And this will bring about a great change in human behaviour because if because human beings will know that there will be punitive consequences for not basically keeping your carbon score below whatever the threshold is. It's incredible, this. It really is. This is how they're going to change society. And Ruth Townsend is quoted by The Guardian. She's a research fellow at the Chatham House think tank in the UK. Listen to this. Policy sticks such as taxation should only be used to target those who have capacity to make cuts. For example, those who are better off. (laughs) Tax people who are perceived to be better off. Now they're saying anybody who earns more than £32,000 a year. But if you're earning £32,000 a year in the UK, you're not well off, not by a long stretch. Not by any stretch of the imagination. And that's what they're saying. They're, They're actually bracketing people. If you're earning £32,000 or over, they're saying you are in the top 10% of wealthy people in the UK. But you're not. You're not really. £32,000 a year is basically sod all now, especially in light of what's happened in the last 12 months, right? And they're saying that you, by nature of the fact you earn more than £32,000 an hour, you know, you're doing most of the driving, most of the diesel and petrol purchasing, most of the electronics buying and all of that. And you're a problem, is what they're saying. So she says, policy sticks such as taxation should only be used to target those who have capacity to make cuts. And then she says, um, we, we call that a, a, a policy stick. Policy carrots, so stick and carrot, policy carrots like subsidies and support for lifestyle change are needed for those who are unfairly burdened at the moment by rising fuel and food prices. Unfairly burdened, right? Now you might have a good job because you're clever, because you have a degree, because you've, I don't know, you're just a little bit better at doing something than most people. You know, we used, to, we used to believe we lived in a meritocracy. And so you've bettered yourself through hard work, maybe. Maybe you didn't stop at um, third level education. Maybe you continued to take various courses. Maybe you took the initiative, initiative to broaden your skill set so that you could have a higher paying job. So you've done that, right? Now, I think that's, you know, th- that that's down to you and down to your... Um, I don't know, your kind of get-up-and-go attitude. And also because you've got maybe, maybe you've got maybe above-average intelligence. But they're saying that, um, no, that it's unfair. It's unfair that. You have an unfair advantage. So policy sticks should be used to punish you, while policy carrots should be used to people who they say, quote, unfairly burdened. You see, this, this implies, again, this whole notion of privilege. And it's incredibly dangerous. And to, to finish with this just for a moment... 
not to finish with it, but just to finish with the Guardian article, it says an international taxation task force will launch at COP28 in in two weeks' time, right? In a week's time, um, to push for new climate levies and will consider taxes on wealth, fossil fuels, shipping, aviation and financial transactions. So the gloves are off now. They're making no bones about what they're about to do. International taxation task forces to go after you and me uh, with climate levies to basically punish us and to change or transform our behaviour. It's sickening, this. Uh, and climate fear-mongering is everywhere because inside the Times today, climate set to warm by devastating 3 degrees Celsius UN warms. This is bullshit. There's no evidence to support any of this. There is no evidence to support that human activity is going to lead to a 3 degrees Celsius warming of the planet. There is no evidence whatsoever. But again, as I said a few minutes ago, with the climate conference to take place in only nine days, we're getting all of this garbage before it, right? And this is predictive programming. This is getting people used to the idea that something is going to change and um, policy around taxation will have to be introduced and you're just going to have to suck it up because if you don't, right, we won't be living in a, we we won't have a livable planet in a few years' time. This is the papers with me, Richie Allen. As I do this at 7.41am, right, Telegraph, seeing a GP quickly is easier in Rwanda than Britain, study finds. This is funny, it's also kind of ironic, you know. This government wants to implement a policy whereby asylum seekers to the country coming here will be sent off to Rwanda, right? And a Supreme Court in this country said that's unlawful. Now a study says that you'll get seen in a day in Rwanda if you need a doctor. It does very well, whereas you uh, do not have such a luxury here in the UK. More as in 20% of Brits are waiting more than a week for a GP appointment. Now, in Rwanda, it's great, apparently. If you need to see a GP, you'll see one quickly. Only France and Canada ranked worse than Britain and came behind the UK on, um, in this study on, on, on you know, which, which nations have easier access to a, to a GP. The Sun, then, it has this exclusive death plots. Vladimir Zelensky claiming that six different times the Russian president attempted to assassinate him. Don't ever forget, by the way, when Vladimir Zelensky is quoted or when you see him on television, uh, this guy used to make his living playing the piano with his tallywhacker. No, he really did. Look it up if you don't believe me. A Telegraph's got an interesting story too. Church of Scotland in unholy row with parishioners after it shut 900-year-old church. The Church of Scotland has been accused of disrespecting country dwellers and depriving a rural community of their spiritual home by closing the country's oldest church. And this is in Burnie Kirk, which is, um, that's the church, it's called Burnie Kirk. It's near... Uh, it, it, no, yeah, Bernie Kirk. It's had a 900-year run, says the Telegraph, as a place of religious worship. But this came to an end at the weekend after the last Sunday service was held within the ancient walls. It was built in 1140, so the mid-12th century. It's in Elgin in Moray. It has weathered the elements and conflict, but has fallen foul of the Kirk's bean counters as officials seek to balance the books amid failing congregations and rising running costs. So it quotes, it quotes, does the Telegraph, lots of parishioners who now have to make a 20-mile round trip to go to Mass. Um, Some of them are seniors and they're devastated by this. They say it's uh, breaking up the community. 
a family where people look out for each other's needs. It's quite uh, emotional, actually, the way the story is written. The Church of Scotland has said, look, we are aware of the close emotional ties which people and their communities have with their local church, and we share in the sadness uh, when a church is released. But they go on to say is that basically falling minister numbers, a decline in membership and a reduction in income nationally and locally has led to us having to release the church because it's become unsustainable for us to uh, to manage it. So that's in the Telegraph. That's kind of sad. The building looks like an amazing old uh, building. So there you go. The Richie Allen Radio Show is live today, Tuesday at 5 o'clock UK time. Don't miss it. I've got some very interesting guests and talking points. Uh, Do share this podcast, by the way, if you can, on your social media accounts. So I've been Richie Allen. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Papers, as I've already said. I'll see you at 5 o'clock. Do download the app for The Richie Allen Show via Google Play or via the App Store. And please do, if you can, leave a review for it because the reviews do help. All right then. You enjoy your Tuesday. Take it easy and speak to me at 5 o'clock on The Richie Allen Show. Bye then. Bye then.